And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, January the 14th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on January 14, 1943, President Franklin Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill and French General Charles de Gaulle, they opened a wartime conference in Casablanca. The world was erupting in war. Today in 1784, the United States ratified the Treaty of Paris. That ended the Revolutionary War officially. Britain finally signed their side of the agreement a couple of months later in April of the same year. Today in 1914, uh, Ford Motor Company, they greatly improved their assembly line operation. They had been having their group of guys that put together these cars walk from one station to the next. In other words, they would move from this car to the next car to the next car, and they would kind of put the whole thing together. Ford came up with the idea that he would uh, create an assembly line, and the operation that he came up with was uh, he employed an endless chain that pulled each chassis along uh, on the floor. And so the workers stayed where they were and just waited for the next car And they started doing specific tasks like, I mean, I don't know what they were, but like I would be the guy who put on the doors or the doors on the driver's side or whatever. Man, that changed everything. And, of course, everything now is pretty much that as far as manufacturing and creating goods is done on some form of an assembly line. Today, in 1963, George Wallace was sworn in as governor of Alabama with the pledge, segregation forever, said it three times in his speech. That was a view that Wallace would later repudiate, said he changed his mind, he was wrong. Today in 1964, former First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy, in a brief televised address, she thanked Americans for their condolences, the message of support following the assassination of her husband, President John F. Kennedy, about two months ago. Today in 1972, the situation comedy, I don't know if you've seen this or not, I don't know how you could miss it, but it started on NBC. Sanford and Son, starring Red Fox. That thing is still in reruns. It's all over the cable and the DirecTV and all that. Anyway, it started today in 1972. One year ago today, Jeopardy viewers saw Ken Jennings beat James Holzhauer and Brad Rutter to win the $1 million prize and the Jeopardy title of Greatest of All Time. Now, one year later, Ken Jennings is hosting Jeopardy as a guest host. I think what they're doing, they're trying out a few people and they don't want to commit and embarrass or get themselves into a situation Ken Jennings, I've watched him a couple of times. He seems to be doing a pretty good job. He, I mean, he really has prepared. And um, I guess they're going to have some other people on there as well. But nonetheless, it's interesting that one year ago today, Jennings won a million dollars and the title, greatest of all time Jeopardy players. One year ago today, President Trump was not winning the greatest of all time awards of anything. One year ago today, House Democrats were preparing to send articles of impeachment. I know this is getting to be redundant, isn't it? Yeah, one year ago today, 
They were preparing to send articles of impeachment to the Senate for the trial of President Donald Trump. They released a bunch of documents, including a handwritten note that mentioned asking Ukraine's president to investigate, quote, the Biden case. It's too bad the government didn't act on that. Because we now know that there is a Biden case. But then we want to come together now and be healed. So let's not talk about those things per the Biden family. It's interesting. Yesterday, the Democrats in the House of Representatives, they were joined by 10 Republicans. They voted to impeach President Donald Trump for a second time, actually for a third time, because there was a movement Actually, before he became president, Maxine Waters and some of those people, way back four years ago, they were starting trying to get an impeachment started before he entered office. Before he could unlock the door, walk in, and put his pencil on the desk, they were trying to impeach him. And then the second time, of course, was a year ago, and now again yesterday. The impeachment yesterday alleges that the president incited an insurrection that resulted in the breach of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. I found it interesting that, not that they would try to impeach him again. I mean, that is to be expected. If he were going to be in office another month, they would probably, Nancy Pelosi and others, would try to impeach him again. I mean, the hatred runs that deep. This isn't about love of country. It's about hatred of Trump. But I noticed that there were 10 Republicans who voted with the Democrats. I looked at the list. I'll tell you who they were. The 10 Republicans were Liz Cheney from Wyoming, John Katko from New York, Adam Kinzinger from Illinois, Fred Upton from Michigan, Jamie Herrera Butler from Washington, Dan Newhouse from Washington, and Tony Gonzalez from Idaho, Tom Rice from South Carolina, David, I think it's Val. Deo, I think that's how he pronounces his last name, from California, and Peter Meyer from Michigan. If you look at this, of the 10 Republicans that joined the Democrats to impeach President Trump, 20% of the Republicans were from Washington State, two of the 10. Republican Representative Jim Jordan was not one of them. He went off yesterday on the floor. He said Americans are sick and tired of the double standard. They are so sick and tired of it. Well, indeed we are. He said it's not about impeachment anymore. He said it's about canceling the president and anyone who disagrees with them. Absolutely true. That's where we are in America today. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. Let me say that again. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But, Peter wrote, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you? If ye be followers of that which is good. I've mentioned this before on this program, but It was an interesting interchange between Abraham Lincoln and someone in the crowd. Someone asked Abraham Lincoln, as they were just plunging America into what we know as the Civil War, 
They said to Lincoln, they said, Mr. President, do you, do you believe God is on our side? And Lincoln's response, I think, was so noteworthy and certainly worth repeating. He said, you know, he said, that's not the point. <laughs> he said, the greater question is, are we on God's side? And I think that's what Peter is talking about here. He said, who is he who will harm you if he be followers of that which is good? I think we need to focus, and I believe most of you who are listening do, but each of us need to focus as we walk through this unprecedented time in America, in our culture, and it trickles all the way down to our communities, our neighborhoods, and yes, even our families. There is disagreement. There is a great divide in America today, much like those that of the days of Abraham Lincoln. But I think the thing that we need to focus, not on this fake healing thing that Biden and all these people are putting out there now. I mean, everybody's talking about, even Nancy Pelosi, she gets that kind of a prayerful sound in her voice. I mean, it, it doesn't sound prayerful to me, but it's a, an attempt at prayerfulness and piety. And she talks about how she prays for the president and his family every day. She was talking about that just Monday of this week again. And yet these people are consumed with rage and hatred. I mean, it's very obvious. This isn't about love of country and all the stuff that's going on here. It's about they hate this man. And I want to talk to you today about where I think we are in America based on what's happening. And this is not in any way a defense of Trump. It's trying to open our eyes and open our understanding to be informed of what's happening in our day and where this could go. But keep in mind the words of Peter. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I want to be on the side of the Lord, and then I'll know that he's on my side too. So let me talk first about a, something I read in the Los Angeles Times. It's an op-ed. was yesterday. This op-ed is calling for the initiation of wide-scale, this is their word, de-Trumpification. <laughs> that's a new word, but that's what they're using, and I saw it quoted twice later in the day in other news stories. It's the shunning of exiting Trump administration officials who are described as arsonists fleeing a wreckage that they've made. The essay was written by a University of California, Irvine law professor. He's a former U.N. special um, reporter or special guy on free speech. His name is David Kane. It's not important what his name is or his position, although he should be qualified to think. But he's questioning about how Trump administration officials and appointees, including the, these are his words in the Los Angeles Times, the shameless liars, the psychopaths, the cynical enablers in Congress, that would be those who did not vote against Trump yesterday, um, knowingly sacrificed their reputations to support the president. They are to be held accountable after the end of President Trump's term later this month. He says, though exiting political appointees have traditionally landed at prestigious institutions, with some becoming experts in media, keynote, conference speakers, etc., 
In other words, and he's right. They come out of these administrations. Doesn't matter who it is, and they get pretty good jobs if they've had a pretty good job in the administration. There's a whole bunch of people that were Obama's people on CNN and MSNBC and all that, drawing big salaries and sitting there, I suppose, and sitting there telling you how it really is because we know we used to be behind the scenes. Well, it's that kind of thing. And that works Republican and Democrat, both sides of it. But this guy is calling for, and if he were if he were a lone voice in the Los Angeles Times, I wouldn't mention this, uh, probably. But this is being repeated across the country. And it's not only being directed at those who have worked in the Trump administration. It's now being directed at, and repeatedly so, at anyone who voted for or who supported Donald Trump. They're making lists. And I'll get to that in a moment. But this essay, this op-ed, calls for journalists and editors to think hard about how they integrate the voices of Trump officials in their stories and to indicate their Trump affiliation and role clearly when being quoted. In other words, it would be quoted, I, I won't use you, I'll use myself as a self-deprecating example. In, in other words, they probably couldn't care less what I'm saying, but let's say they did. And they would say, well, Gary Randall, a former supporter of, you know, blah, 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 you know, you know, excuse, 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 said this or whatever. So they're talking about over-identifying anyone who has had any association or supported Donald Trump as being identified as such before their voices can even be heard, but they're really advocating that their voices should never be heard, nor should they be considered for employment because they've been employed by the um, by the Trump administration, this K goes on and on and on, and I, I'm I'm making I'm making the point that the L.A. Times journalist didn't write this, but they approved it, or it wouldn't be in their newspaper. He says, in concluding his paragraph, K he kind of seeks to ensure the reader that his propositions are not primitive. He said this isn't a, an old-fashioned approach to this. He said, quote, shunning, shunning, that's what the Amish used to do. Shunning may sound primitive, but he said it's not. He said it can be a way to reinforce democratic values. He goes on and on and on. Well, last Thursday, the Forbes, uh, Forbes magazine op-ed warned companies about hiring fabulists from the Trump administration. They said, let it be known to the business world, hire any of Trump's fellow fabulists above. And they had a whole bunch of pictures of people, Ted Cruz, a whole bunch of guys that they have have identified as, you know, dangerous because they supported Trump. Forbes will assume that everything your company or your firm talks about is a lie if you hire former Trump supporters. I'm not kidding you. Forbes magazine. Is Randall Lane. He's a chief content officer. He was writing this article. Also last week, the Lincoln Project, that was those guys that organized to try to defeat Trump in the election. They announced that they're building a database of Trump officials and staffers with the intention of holding them professionally accountable for supporting 
the president. Last month, December, I mentioned this on this program. I'll mention it again. The Washington Post wrote a lengthy essay, and they encouraged the media to, yes, they used the word shun Republicans who questioned the election results. The Washington Post. The essay itself admitted promoting a radical approach, yet they said we stand by it. It's the only way to safely proceed with live interviews with Republicans who may be carrying a dangerous conspiracy theory that will spread like a virus on the air. (laughs) Boy, I'll tell you. Washington Post published an essay comparing denying election results to denying the Holocaust. They went on to make their point. It's like those who deny the Holocaust. They're the people that are just like anyone who supported Trump. We would not allow, the Post said, we would not allow a Holocaust denier to speak on evening news programs or have free reign on social media. Old and new media alike, I'm quoting them, should no longer give a platform to these dissimulations starting with Trump's people. That's where we are in our nation today. Put aside the fact of whether you support Trump or not, and many of you did, I did, and do, but look at where this is going to take us. But it also has infected the Christian community, the evangelical community. And I want to talk with you a little bit about that today because you need to be informed. We all need to be informed, and that, of course, is what we try to do on this program. I got this message yesterday, an email from someone who made a donation to our ministry. Dear Gary, I so appreciate your calm tone. Well, my calm tone. I'm not always calm, but thank you. Voice of reason, biblical viewpoint in this turned-upside-down world we live in. It's past time to set the trumpet to our mouths, but you're already doing it. God bless you with continued discernment in this time. This was from a retired school teacher. Thank you so much. And thank you for your support. And to all of you who support us, we wouldn't be here without you. We could not be here without you because you are as much a part of this as I am. I know my voice is heard, but I will tell you, your support is heard along with it because we couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Ed Stetzer is a dean and professor at Wheaton College. He wrote a U- in a USA Today uh, story last weekend. He said, quote, no one likes to admit they were fooled. It's time to admit we were wrong. Now many evangelicals are seeing President Trump for who he is but more need to see what he has done to us, meaning us as the Christian community. It's time for an evangelical reckoning, he says, in that he also leads the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Billy went to college there, as you probably know. His article has gotten some wide coverage from both so-called Christian left uh, papers and websites and so on, but the mainstream media has been on this as well because he's saying what they want him to say. And they want that message out there. Were the evangelicals wrong to support Trump? He says, yes, they were. What would an evangelical reckoning even look like? 
Stetzer says he, too, is an evangelical, believes that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and in our place. And he said, we need to tell the world about that. Well, amen. That's what I've been doing my entire life. Is telling the world about Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins and they can accept him. And most of you, hopefully, that are listening to this program today have done so. You've asked Christ to come into your heart. Yes, we embrace that. But, he says, but, that's not what most people are talking about today. Well, he's wrong. Yes, they are. Many of us evangelicals are still sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe he isn't at Wheaton, but many of us are all across America, whether it's to our neighbor across the back fence or whether it's on the radio or television or whatever or to a church of 20,000 people, it doesn't matter. Most of us are sharing the love of Jesus Christ. He says, we're not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, we're talking about Trump. He said, many evangelicals and leaders invested money, time, and conviction toward making America great again. He said, he too is grateful for the Supreme Court justices and Trump's anti-abortion stand. Well, he should be. No other president has taken that kind of a position. But he said, I've been surprised by it. Well, that, okay, great, be surprised. He then pivots and declares, quote, Nevertheless, most of that is in jeopardy now because Trump is, is who many of us warned other evangelicals that, he said, that we said he was. The professor says he's burned down the Republican Party, emboldened white supremacists, mainstream conspiracy theories, theorists, and more. But Stester says, of greater concern for me is the trail of destruction he has left within the evangelical movement. Has he really left a trail of destruction? And again, I'm not defending Trump. I'm defending the body of Christ. And this guy's off the rails as far as I'm concerned, to be quite honest with you. Just because there's a group of evangelicals, probably around 60 million or so, that disagree with his political views, he is now suggesting, and he's getting a lot of coverage, that those who disagree with him are in alliance with or in harmony with Trump and they're destroying the evangelical community. Disagreement? Yes. Destruction? Absolutely not. Then he says this. He said, tempted by power and trapped within a culture war theology, too many evangelicals tied their fate to a man who embodied neither their faith nor their vision or polit a political character. Well, then he goes out, he just takes a left turn at that intersection. Perhaps the evangelicals that he knows were tempted by power. But the ones I know merely saw Trump as a better choice than Hillary, and most recently a better choice than Joe Biden. I still see that. Not voting is a non-option for biblical Christians, and I would raise my hand to speak to the professor if we were in class regarding evangelicals who voted for Trump as people who tied their fate to a man who embodied neither their faith? Number one, we didn't tie our faith to anybody but Jesus Christ. He knows better than that. If I were in the, in the classroom with him, I'd confront him. He's wrong. He's dead wrong. And how does he know if Donald Trump has or has not accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior? I don't know a single evangelical who tied their fate to Trump. They simply chose him over Hillary and over Biden. And we did so with a lot of thought and prayer. Does the professor know for sure that Trump does not share our faith in Christ? Has not asked Jesus Christ to forgive his sins and acknowledged him as Lord and Savior, risen Savior? 
James Dobson, Franklin Graham, and a number of other respected, trusted evangelicals, they know Trump personally. They're with him a lot. They say otherwise. They say he has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. But should we be arguing about that publicly? Stetzer claiming that he and his circle of evangelical friends have seen this reckoning coming for months and years and how they've tried to help evangelical movements steer away from Trump. But now we must face the reckoning. He said there's three reasons. One, far too many have tolerated egregious behavior. We haven't tolerated it. There's egregious behavior on all of the candidates. So what do we do, not vote? I don't think so. Number two, he says, far too many have failed to live up to their promise of speaking truth to power. He's suggesting, again, that Franklin Graham, Pastor Jack Graham of 20,000, 30,000-person church, Tony Perkins, Jim Dobson, Mike Pence, Pastor Robert Jeffress, and a whole bunch of other people whom you probably know their names. I do. He's saying that they are all, they're in constant contact with Trump, and they're all intimidated, and they're afraid to share their faith, their gospel of Jesus Christ in his presence. He'll be held accountable for that because that's what these guys have been doing. They've been sharing their faith with this man because he needs a Savior. He needs Jesus Christ. And thirdly, Stetzer says all of us have failed to foster healthy political discipleship. And then he goes in, and I don't have time to go into all of it. It's very long. But I would encourage you to go to faithandfreedom.us, faithandfreedom.us, and read our article and its source. You can go to these various sources of what I'm talking about right now. But then he goes into this this whole message, this sales job on social justice and how it touches every one of our lives. And he talks about social justice, and that's his agenda. It's because Trump did not uh, support, and neither do I, the social justice movement of the religious left. Therefore, open borders... They support the LGBTQ movement and their agenda, and they are at least silent, and some are now supporting, selectively, abortion. All done in the name of the Lord. Last week, Vanessa Williams of the Washington Post, she wrote a long article about the issue of Trump and Christians and how how could Christians compromise their faith and all of this kind of thing to support him. Jim Wallace is the leader of this movement on the left. Tony Campolo, Rob Bell, and a bunch of other guys, they're advocating for so-called same-sex marriage. All this stuff. This guy is dead wrong on where he's coming from, but he's influencing people. In the article that I wrote today, I also sourced an article written by Eric McTexas. He's a best-selling author. He wrote the best, the most recent best-selling book is If You Can, if you can Keep It, the Forgotten Promise of American Liberty, and others. He makes the case, and he makes it strongly. I don't have time to get into it today, but I I would encourage you to go there and read what I wrote today and read what they wrote today. He talks about a similar article in Christianity today. Well, that's kind of where we are in our culture today, but we'll keep talking about it. We'll stay informed. We'll be discerning. And we'll be sure that we stay on God's side. Thank you for being with me today, and thank you for your support. We need it. We'll look forward to seeing you right here tomorrow.